Hello, my name is Paul Kearney and I'm a professor of politics and public policy. And this is a series of short podcasts to accompany my series of blog posts which introduce key public policy concepts and theories in 1,000 words. This pod- podcasts, uh, excuse me, this podcast accompanies a post on the social construction of target populations and it'd be useful to read the other post on the, psycho- the psychology of policy making when you, when you listen to this one. Now this theory has a useful link to quite broad discussions of politics in which you might imagine this kind of argument that you'll have heard before. So people in talk in general terms about a vicious cycle between voting and policy making. So put, you know, too simply, the young don't vote much, so governments don't have to worry about them. Governments do li- do you know very little for young people, and so give them very little reason to vote. Um, uh, on the other side of the coin, older people do vote, so governments worry disproportionately about them. They do a lot for them, and they give them a strong reason to keep voting. Now that idea is too broad to be particularly useful, but it highlights one aspect of the social construction of target populations literature, which is there's a strong relationship between politics and policymaking for the following reasons. Number one, policymakers make very quick judgments about their, tar- their target populations. So Schneider and Ingram draw on an insight in psychology that people engage in two kinds of behaviour. One is they make very quick emotional judgments about people, then they use evidence selectively to back up their initial decisions before they translate those decisions into policy. Number two, these judgments can have an enduring so-called feed-forward effect. They are reflected in well-established organisations and institutions whose role often becomes routine and rarely questioned. Point three, this decision has an impact on citizens and groups who participate more or less in politics according to how they are characterised by government. So you can see the connections there. So overall, they suggest these are quick and emotional decisions at one point in time, with the potential to be taken for granted, or as hegemonic ways of thinking which dominate debate at another point in time. So as such, this social construction literature links strongly to the kind of classic discussions of power that I discussed in a separate post, so-called second face or third dimensions of power, in which people exercise power to reinforce public, media and policymaker attitudes to policy problems and particular populations. So, for example, you know, people may start to take for granted the assumption that you know, certain criminals deserve to be punished, or that certain poor people only have themselves to blame and should receive minimal state help. You know, when these ideas begin to be taken for granted, you know, that's a very sort of, uh, you know, powerful position, or powerless position for other people. So the disadvantage, the people disadvantaged from that way of thinking may also struggle to mobilise to challenge these attitudes. Um, they may have alternative policy solutions based on you know, a different way of thinking about particular populations, but they may struggle to mobilise and get them discussed on a government's agenda. Now, Schneider and Ingram depict this process on a notional two-by-two table. On one axis, they describe the ways in which groups are treated by government, 
And on the other axis, they describe the resources that those people have to challenge or reinforce this treatment. So they come up with four uh, basic descriptions of people. So the, the powerful and the positively constructed are the advantaged groups. That's in the, the top left. The powerful but negatively constructed are contenders. So they have the ability to challenge the way in which they're, they're portrayed. The powerless, positively constructed are dependents. Okay, so they don't have many resources to mobilise, but they're treated relatively well by governments. And finally, the powerless and negatively constructed are so-called deviants. So these are the groups that are treated negatively by government and also don't really have the resources to do much about it. If you have a look at this table on the blog post, you can see that the categories are often quite time-specific and place-specific. In this case, it's US politics in the 90s and 2000s. And note that you know, people do not necessarily define themselves primarily in one of these categories. You know, so, for example, many mothers are also scientists, lesbian and, and or part of the feminist movement. They can identify them, themselves in all or none of those ways. And people may mobilise themselves according to their own perception of their identity. Now, that's an important point, but still, the table serves to show us how policymakers see people, which may not be the same thing at all. It serves to show us the quick and simplistic decisions that policymakers use and the potential long-term effects they may have, particularly when groups do not have the resources to challenge how they were perceived. So I think that's a, as, a, as a concept or a theory that's, that's simple to pick up and it provides a lot of potential for you know, detailed case studies about how governments portray people and, and what happens next. Now, where do we go from there? Now, there's a lot of connections with, with other theories, but I think what I would suggest is read up on uh, the subject of storytelling within policymaking, including the so-called narrative policy framework, which suggests that uh, policy actors compete to tell simple stories to quickly assign blame to one group of people or praise another, even though you know, life is much more complicated and such groups are heterogeneous and you know, cause in effect and society is multifaceted. But people still engage in those discussions because they can have you know, a lot of impact by keeping things simple to attract you know, welcome attention. And the winner of this remarkably simplistic competition may help produce a policy response from government which endures for years, if not decades, to come. Okay, thank you.